This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, we've got uh, kind of a, an exciting week. The Door County Living magazine for autumn 2020 is out on shelves, and people can pick it up and enjoy it for free. And there's some really, really cool stories in there. There's some great graphic design by Pulse artist Ryan Miller, some really great stories about some interesting things, some cool profiles. So we'll jump into that here shortly. But before we do, I just wanted to touch a little bit on some COVID-19 news. So uh, we we followed the numbers really heavily early on, kind of have have relaxed in our coverage of the numbers a little bit, but the the active cases are are higher right now than they have been from what I understand. And also the the number of positive cases jumped pretty dramatically, at least in terms of what Door County has been seeing uh, relatively recently. So uh, give me kind of a rundown on where we're at right now in terms of numbers and active cases. Well, we had eight new cases reported yesterday on Thursday, and then uh, earlier this week we had nine reported on Tuesday. Um, Those nine on Tuesday were a reflection of Saturday, Sunday, and Monday all coming in at once due to the holiday weekend because the county does not report those numbers over um, those weekend days. But I think it was nine, five, eight. Um, that's, I believe that's the biggest three-day stretch of positive cases, and that is not a reflection of Labor Day. Um, it's important to note that like those cases would all be ones that people had contracted the virus at least a week prior, probably, and then any Labor Day stuff would be coming in maybe now and later. And in fact, some of those positive case reports might actually stem back to the large-scale open testing uh, they did a couple weeks ago where they encouraged everybody to, symptomatic or not, no no pre-existing condition that you needed to go and get a test. So some of those might still be the lag on those results coming back and getting reported. Um, but yeah, this is this week has been a little bit of an up, consistent uptick. So it's it's something to watch for and see what comes in Friday again as well. And then really for the Labor Day numbers you'd you know next monday tuesday is is the one to watch and see where we're at right well and and this increase in cases is important from a public health standard but there's also some ramifications on education as well so there was a a positive case for a teacher in sawyer elementary school and i believe the the second grade class is that correct correct yeah um so that class has been meeting virtually from what i understand right now and and one of the things that that exposes it's not so much like okay all these kids got sick you know it's, it's not about that it's like if the teacher has it and that teacher comes in contact with other staff members, even if they are they are trying to isolate by grade, that affects that whole grade. So now you have to you don't have enough um, unexposed teachers to help hold your second grade grade classes in person. Right. So it, you see how quickly the ripple effects go and, and impact everybody else, just like we're seeing in colleges and universities. Uh, right. This week, University of Wisconsin Madison had to quarantine two dorms after cases started to to mushroom down there. And anyone familiar with University of Wisconsin-Madison, those two dorms are Witty and Celery, which are two of like the old sardine box style, kind of like communist (laughs) construct dorm buildings. So they're not some of the newer, a little bit more spacious, a little bit more luxurious dorm rooms. So now those kids are all quarantined in there. And I know for a fact, just from people I've talked to, some of those kids are leaving the campus to come home. So then you run into the fear of like these people... You have the spread on campus. 
you flee the campus, and then you go seed the virus back in your home community. So we're seeing a lot of what we thought might play out in once we try and figure out schools again. Right. Yeah. I mean, just even talking about colleges, I know that it's been decades and decades since you were on a college campus, Miles. Decades. Hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds of years. <laughs> but uh, I, I was just in college four years ago, so it, it's a little bit fresher in my mind. And just even when you think about like the the most airtight strategies for dealing with this, there there are certain things that are just intrinsic in the college experience in terms of, you know, people who are, are leaving the nest for the first time, maybe having their first real sense of independence, maybe starting to experiment with alcohol and stuff like that. All of those things kind of happen in a college dorm room. I, I know that, you know, parents who have kids in college right now are maybe trying to avert their attention away from the podcast as I talk about how, you know, students might be experimenting. But uh, when, when you think about that type of thing, or also the pressures of students, either academically to to excel or to keep their scholarships or to get through college to, you know, start their career path, or you think about the pressures on high school or college athletes to try to maintain their scholarships or compete in games and stuff like that. All of those things compound into the COVID-19 situation where it's like if you have an athlete who uh, maybe has been around somebody who tested positive but doesn't want to let on that they have so that they don't have to quarantine and miss practice or a game, uh, uh, those are types of things that no amount of policy writing can account for unless you're just canceling activities, extracurriculars, all of those things outright and doing all virtual school. As soon as you start bringing people into the same building with each other or living in the same room with each other, you no amount of policy is going to, to make things safe for everybody. There's always going to be something that happens. And even if it's just like one freshman on your floor uh, gets caught for drinking, like that's a big thing that has ramifications for the whole floor. Now compare that to COVID-19. If one person on your floor gets sick, the odds of of them spreading that to other people uh, is is very high. So well, even this week in, in Door County, and uh, you saw Bearded Heart, the coffee shop just down the street from us, they take they they are are as well precautioned as any um, eatery in the county and in, in any business in terms of managing the flow of people through there, having the plexiglass, having everyone always masked up. Um, they've done a really great job all summer long, but they've had a positive case this, amongst their staff this week. They were closed, and then that led to you know that there's a lot of interaction among restaurants up here. So then you saw um, Trixie's in, in Ephraim closed and Pearl Wine Cottage closed. You saw a lot of restaurants that trickle down effect um, just from one case and how people share employees and how people interact here. So well, it trickles down quickly. How, how businesses share employees, especially young employees, and how young employees share residences with each other mm -hmm. too, just because of the, the affordable housing situation up here. You might have five or six people living together and all working in different jobs or maybe sharing some jobs. So like if you've got five people in one residency uh, and one of them gets sick, you can assume that all five of them have been infected. Now that's five well, different you can jobs you or can assume, more. You can assume they've been exposed. exposed you can't sure. assume they've been infected because we've saw, seen cases. Um, the first case at Husby's, um, I happen to know some of the people involved and people who lived with in, in close proximity to that person who had that first case never ended up getting infected. So sure. they were exposed, not infected. So Or... You know, maybe they have been infected but didn't show symptoms because there's there's a percentage of people who can have COVID-19 present in their systems and not experience a single system throughout the entirety of the process. Yeah. Well, in that so, case, they were tested. So sure. Um, but, you know, on the flip side, I, I did talk to a restaurant owner this week who was pretty frustrated. 
that we're still in the situation we're in. And they said, like, I just wish we could get some serious data on if we went back and let's say we just did the basics. Like if we were wearing masks from the start and we people just accepted the distancing and, and didn't fight it, like, where would we be today? And I agreed with them. And then I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, actually, Door County is a pretty good case study of this. Um, certainly in Northern Door, which is where I spent more of my time because I just haven't gone out all that much. Um, but even as you go around Sturgeon Bay, so many of the restaurants here took even more precautions than I would say. And I, I think people would know if they listen to this podcast, I'm pretty cautious in regards to the virus. Um, but I think people took what I would have said was overboard in terms of their the precautions they took. And which is a good thing. I'm glad I'm, I'm proud of our, our local business uh, businesses who have done that. And people who have switched to work from home, like like we have for the most part here at the Pulse and a lot of other places have done it even more so the precautions the hotels have taken. Um, the fact that most of the businesses here have been pretty serious about masking up and, and doing everything they can. And that we canceled all of all of the large events, all of the large indoor events, especially that we stopped the festivals, concerts, all those things. And we did all that. And you look at the sales tax numbers. Door County has actually done incredibly well this summer. It, we um, we've had pretty good room tax numbers since middle of June. We've most restaurants have done pretty decently. Um, and most of the business owners I talk to say like, yeah, you know, it's not last year, but it's a lot better than we thought it was going to be. So with all those precautions, people still had a pretty good summer. It's not my favorite Door County summer by any means, but like, you know, we lived. We just had to we had to mask and, and distance and and put some things aside for a year. And there are tons of questions that come out of this. There's tons of questions for the arts and, and cultural um, industry, particularly. Uh, but we we showed that you could actually live and not actually have to sacrifice a lot of the things you would normally want to do if you just take some basic precautions. So then and that was and this is a small town community that welcomed tens of thousands of people here and still we're able to after six months we've had 170 cases and as of this day i think 30 some active cases like that's a pretty good case study for a community of what would happen if you just handle this at probably a moderate level of effectiveness if you took a lot of those naysayers and the people who aren't wanting to mask aren't wanting to social distance still want to have parties and things like that if you took all of them and increased and only 20 percent of those folks also would have been a little more accepting where might we be right now like right. how low might those case counts be um and then you apply that across the country I, I think door county is a pretty good case study for a community caring about each other and doing it doing things pretty well without actually having to sacrifice their livelihoods and you know their ability to still have fun and, and see some friends and and just do it smartly right yeah the the last thing that i wanted to mention going back to education and the the active case count number we've we've spent the vast majority of this with active cases in the single digits more recently we've seen double digits and stuff like that but uh gibraltar i believe also has a as part of their kind of opening plan and, and keeping students safe they have an active case threshold uh that see i, I believe it was 28 cases correct um and that that seemed like a totally reasonable number back when we were having maybe 10 active cases at a time. Uh, I don't know if Gibraltar has, has said anything, Miles. Have you heard anything about in terms of where we are right now and what yeah, the plans are? It's going to be another week before they would um, transition to in-person classes. Okay. So like that's just another thing where you're, you're seeing these ramifications taking place, even if people aren't necessarily getting sick in school, which 
they are. But you, you still have these these ramifications just in terms of the the overall county and, and how we move forward with this. So mm-hmm. uh, my hope would be as things slow down, we see active cases drop off and we see our, our numbers stay pretty, no more big raises without the, you know, these big summer uh, rushes that we've had. And that would be my hope. But uh, if you look at the trend nationally or in Wisconsin, I don't know if the numbers look like that anyway. So we'll, we'll see as things go on. Uh, again, my hope is that things start to slow down and relax as we go into fall. Uh, but we very well could have a, a very bustling fall season as well. People wanting to get out and see the fall colors. Uh, I feel like fall is a great time to get out into nature anyway. Um, hiking is a big thing in fall. So maybe that just is another reason for people to come out and to to get outside. Um, so, so we'll see. We'll see how the, how the numbers go. My hope is that this is the, the biggest active cases that we have throughout all yeah. of this. That would be wonderful, uh, but, but we'll see what happens. So uh, pivoting uh, to our, our, our next topic of discussion, Door County Living Magazine is out for autumn 2020. And uh, if you haven't picked up a copy yet, it's available pretty much everywhere in Door County. I don't think that you can spin around without seeing a copy at least somewhere. <laughs> and it also should just be hitting mailboxes. If it didn't come to you yesterday, it probably is hitting your mailbox today or tomorrow. So it is being mailed to every mailbox in the county. Is this the first time that the magazine has been mailed to everybody? I think we started that with the summer issue. Okay. So this will be the second second edition, just like we started sending the pulse to every mailbox uh, back in March or early April. I can't remember. It seems so long ago. Um, then we decided to send the magazine to every mailbox as well. Right. And I know that this sounds inconceivable, Miles, but this might be somebody's first Door County Living magazine it that they're picking be. up. Um, I, that poor, poor soul. I know, but uh, there, there's a lot of really great stories in here. And I kind of want to use some time here to, to page through a little bit and talk about some of the cool stories uh, this time around. Uh, one of my favorite ones to look at just graphically, but also an interesting stories. There was a profile that was done on Christy Weber, who we have talked about maybe more than anybody else on this podcast <laughs> uh, over the years. Um, just talking about her her uh, mission to save Door County historical icons. Yeah, I, C- Christy was a... She's a person that I've wanted to write something in depth about for a long time because um, she is just such an interesting... Uh, person, character, and really a lightning rod. And I just wanted to dive in and show like kind of both sides of her. Um, you know, there's there are people who love Christy Weber. There are people who hate Christy Weber. And hate's a strong word, but there are people who feel that way. And and Christy is one of the few people I, you know, when you write in a small town and, and like I do, and you write a lot about people you know and, and consider friends a lot, it's difficult sometimes to do a an in-depth, really honest um, portrayal of them and and show all sides because, you, you know, you don't want to, I certainly don't want to hurt people with the the platform I get to use in, in terms of the paper and the pulse. Um, Christy is one of those few people that I felt like probably has thick enough skin um, and would appreciate having a more honest picture told um warts and all kind of thing so i've always wanted to do it but it was also one of those things like if you're gonna do it you got to take some time and so i've just it's been on the back burner so many times but with her effort to uh save the granary in sturgeon bay and also now potawatomi tower in in potawatomi state park i thought it was pretty timely to uh finally buckle down buy myself some time and and dig into it so it was um just really fun to 
dive into the character that is Christy Weber. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I my introduction to Christy was the Granary, uh, and knock on wood, but we haven't had to cover the Granary for several months now, yeah. <laughs> uh, despite how it seemed like almost every other podcast oh, episode man. was about something when this was was happening. Um, but then, uh, as you mentioned, Potawatomi Tower right now is another thing that it continues to unfold week after week, but also the, the Sturgeon Bay Steel Bridge was another project of Christy's. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think, I don't remember when that one was. It was before I came to the county uh but that that's another thing that people interact with every single day in door county that might not be here if not for christie's efforts yeah and when you when you talk about the steel bridge it's hard to describe to someone like you like just how big a deal that was that was a a years-long process and fight and it was as contentious a battle as i've seen in my time up here i mean the, the granary probably rivals that um but there it was you know you, you drive over the steel bridge now and i think for the most part um, people appreciate it. People look at that as a cool architectural historical icon and uh, a symbol of the city. Literally a symbol of the city. <laughs> it's the logo for the city. Or <laughs> it was for years. Yeah, it's the it's the logo. It's on the stationery. Um, there is a festival also co-founded by Christy that celebrates it. But there was a big split. There were a lot of people who were just like, take it down. It's ugly. Why do you want to save that bridge? It was really a lot of people who, if you mention Christy Weber's name, even today, they'll roll their eyes and and scoff at the bridge. Um, I think the majority of people uh, clearly love that bridge, and um, it has it has its place in the city now. And it helped to spark a festival that gave the city a new image, and has brought tons of artists, and helped to lead to the founding of the Holiday Music Motel. Also, with Christie's hands in there, with her brother Pat and uh, Jackson Brown, it was an investor in that motel, and they've created that motel itself has garnered a ton of publicity for the city as one of the most unique hotels and lodging facilities in the country. So all those things came out of that that bridge controversy. And that if, if you were involved in just that, if that was your whole life's work, or let's say you restored one cool old building, you'd be pretty proud of that. You'd, you would say like, wow, that was pretty cool. That person did such and such. And I've written about a lot of kind of people like that and revere that. Christie's done that a dozen times. I mean, the steel bridge fight, the granary fight, the hotel fight that kind of is intertwined in the granary fight, fight, the Potawatomi Tower, the old she was involved in trying to save the old Fish Creek Town Hall, which still stands today. Um, And then tons of individual buildings that some of Sturgeon Bay's oldest buildings that she has bought and rehabbed and repurposed. And it's, it's pretty amazing. Lover or hater like to walk around the city and see all the places and be pointed to all the things that she's had a hand in preserving. Right. You know, uh, I love I love the different focuses in the magazine and there, there's a bunch of different types of articles, but I also love these kind of more curiosity style mm-hmm. articles in there. Uh, and one of them that I think is fun is how the dollar bills got up on the ceiling in Husby's. <laughs> is that one that you wrote as well with your experience? Yeah. Um, and, and that it was like when we took over Husby's, that was already happening. And I, I had to call call uh, Delmar Pickle Olson, the guy who ran Husby's before uh, my family did, um, and who worked there for 25, 30 years, and ask him how that started. And it really was like Husby's used to be two two halves of a bar. And one half was sort of an ice cream parlor uh, where Emma Husby would serve black cows, which are rip your floats. And the other half was the tavern. And in 1990, uh, Oscar Johnson bought the bar and kind of opened it up, remodeled the whole place, opened it up, gave it like the wood panel sides and everything and created this kind of big arched ceiling. And then they started putting the dollars on the ceiling and 
And Pickle said that that was kind of inspired by uh, the Institute Saloon, where they've been doing that for 40 plus years, throwing the dollar bills up to the ceiling. And it's always it was always fun bartending because people would come in and ask you how to do it. And you could always have a little fun with them and lie to them about it and watch them struggle to try and throw just a wetted dollar bill up and try and get it to stick to the ceiling. Um, but yeah, it's always fun to look at those things that those questions that everybody asks. I mean, that's what I do when I drive around the county and I think about stories. I, I go, hmm, I wonder what the deal is with that. And so it's fun to show those a little bit. Right. The The other thing I love about the magazine is just how visually compelling it is. Um, part of that is in thanks to Ryan Miller, who also does the layout for The Pulse. Um, and The Pulse is also a visually interesting thing to look at as well. Uh, we've changed the format a little bit over the last six months or so because of COVID-19 and some some different things in that. But uh, before then, and, and, and right now as well, as, as we've kind of ramped things back up a little bit, The Pulse has a really striking visual style. Uh, and a lot of that is, is thanks to Ryan's work. Uh, but the magazine has that as well as some really gorgeous photos. Uh, Len Villano has taken photos for us for many years. Brett Cosmiter has done a lot of photography for us as well as our drone and aerial shots. Um, I say drone and aerial like they're different, but they're the same thing. <laughs> um, and what I love about this is it's coming out right now when, when summer is starting to wind down, but it is just packed to the brim with beautiful like fall colors photos. And there's even yeah. a piece in here about fall colors and experiencing like the natural environment in lieu of the festivals that we might normally have around here right now. Uh, and there's a lot of work that goes into that kind of stuff because obviously it has to be taken a year in advance. And, and most of the stories that you're writing are a year in advance as well, too. Uh, tell me a little bit just about some of the work that went into this issue specifically and, and, and some of the more visual elements of it. Well, one of the things, um, and, and you are right, Ryan does an incredible job giving it a feel um, that I think is, is truly unique from other um, Wisconsin publications and, and really anything you might stumble upon nationally. Um, but take, like, I don't have the artistic bent in my mind. I, I can write, I'm creative with my writing, but I, I certainly, uh, it, it's pretty amazing sometimes when I, when we give an article to Ryan or an idea to Ryan and then what he comes back with. And I was like, I could not see that and and then it just comes back in a stunning fashion and even with like the the christy weber article he takes that article and turns it into something visually that is is much more and much better than what i envisioned when i'm I'm, when i'm when you're writing and you're thinking of how this is going to look on the page um and there it's it's kind of interesting when you talk to him afterward what what sticks out to him and how he represents that, whether it be in in the fonts that he chooses or, you know, in the there's an article about the bird migration written by Charlotte Lucas. And there's a long dash in the middle of the headline. And that sort of in in Ryan's mind is representing like the movement, the migration of the birds is represented by that line. So it's fun to page through it for me to see like, all right, what's Ryan getting at here with the art side? And maybe maybe a lot of readers never notice that. Um, maybe they they're just flipping through and it just looks like a weird line or a, a weird artist's choice or it doesn't even hit them at all. But for those who do connect to it and and know that what Ryan's doing or know that Ryan is laying it out, I, I hope they're looking through that and going, all right, what can I, what's kind of this the story behind this that Ryan's getting after with this little artistic twist that he put on it? Right. The, uh, there, there's kind of three, three aspects of Ryan's work that I really enjoy or three different ways that I've seen it really be cultivated. Uh, one of which is in like the state park posters that he put together for us, uh, as well as the lighthouses collage poster, um, that kind of really interesting pop art styling that he put together for those that creates a, a really colorful 
image for Door County and for these different things. Uh, we've seen that art style a lot. His his original work that he puts together from some stories. Um, I, I wrote a piece for the magazine a couple issues ago about Amos Lovejoy, and he put together this original piece for it that was just really cool. It was stark black and white uh, with these interesting characters and designs in it. It almost looked like a like a wood block. Like, like an piece, ink. yeah, yeah. It, it was just really, really cool. Um, and he's done that a number of times for different things. Uh, some, some of our pulse covers for special issues have original art from Ryan on them that just are really striking and really grab your attention right away. And if, uh, and if I actually adhere to my deadlines and get things in advance, he does even cooler stuff. But so, like, the amazing thing is, like, this Christy Weber article because I was refining it and refining it and refining it. Um, I got it to him at the last second, and he still was able to pull out something and do something really cool with it. Um, ideally, I get that to him months in advance and he can ruminate on it and work with it and um, reinvent it multiple times. But um, this particular issue, we squeezed him at the last second with a bunch of work too. Well, and he he really put some cool stuff together. And then there, there's another piece here that kind of combines those, those two pieces for me. It, he put together a map of just the different types of libations that you can find all throughout the county. So it's got brewery cidery distilleries wineries all kind of listed out in this really interesting graphical presentation and you can see kind of that i'm, I'm showing it to miles or to the audience right now <laughs> even though this is a purely audio medium uh, but you can see that there's this, this very colorful kind of pop art stylings in the same vein as like the lighthouse photos or, or, or pictures but then he also has that really cool black and white styling at the bottom that that's more uh that i see more in his original work and it, it's just a really great two-page spread it's a it's a great graphical map uh, of, of all the different places that you could hit throughout the county um, and it, it's just another really striking visual piece that kind of ties the whole magazine together and the idea behind that was also hey you can't we're not going to have the festivals we're not going to have some of these things that you would normally do you don't have pen players to go to in the fall or aft but there are things you can enjoy and one of those that has become pretty unique here is both our wine and our brewery scene and the distillery scene. So we wanted to give people a map of like, hey, you can still go and make a day of it and, you know, drive drive safe, drive sober, find a designated driver, but go hit a few of these or just hit one of them uh, and and taste them and, and hit it out over, over the fall, over weeks and weeks, or just pick one Saturday and hit them all. But we wanted to put it all in one map for people to check out and Ryan did an awesome job with that. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the, the visual element of the magazine because something that really sets the magazine apart from our, our weekly publication is just there's so much care put into the visual presentation of it. Uh, tell me about some of the other uh, the other pieces. What are some other standout things as we wrap up here? Well, Aaliyah Kidd takes a visit to Bayshore Blufflands, which is a uh, Door County Land Trust preserve, and there's some great hiking trails there. Um, our news editor, Deb Fitzgerald, actually lives bought a house right next door to that. She said, uh, unfortunately, because this article came out, uh, there are a lot more cars parked there and using it than than normal. But um, that's a good thing. I want to direct people to the best of Door County and so that they can invest in it and protect it and help us keep it keep it great. Um, the but that that if you haven't hiked Bayshore Blufflands, it is really a stunning landscape and shows you the value of the Door County Land Trust. If you go and hike that property and go, wow, if it weren't for the land trust protecting this property, this would be a bunch of McMansions up along the bluff taking advantage of this view and dotting this field with homes. And instead, it's this beautiful hiking, especially in the fall. It, it makes for some great fall color viewing. Um, and it's 
right next door to the uh, what used to be Chateau, Chateau Hutter, the the vast John Hutter property down there. So you could, uh, if you want to go visit that, you can get a great hike in, and you can also kind of drive past the ruins of Chateau Hutter. Um, and there's a great aerial photo by Brett Kosmeiter of that property as well. Um, there's a guide to fall color drives. Um, some of our editorial picks of like some of the best places and routes we like to go and um see great like fall foliage fall tree canopies and views of the water uh, or from the water um that we included uh charlotte luke's looks at bird migration um yeah just a, a lot of really great articles um and we're already planning on the winter one and and right now actually we're planning on next fall's door county living magazine Right, because as soon as this goes out, as soon as the colors start changing, the photography and and the the story planning will begin for that. So yeah, we have like a really once those colors start to change to get something that looks like fall color season, you have like a two to three week window to really, and that's if you're lucky. Like if it's if that two to three weeks happens to be a very gray two to three weeks, it you get an even smaller window to try and capture something that looks good on the page. Right. Well, Miles, is there anything else uh, before we wrap up here that that we haven't talked about that people should know? Uh, one thing regarding uh, the Pulse this week is there is a one page, a full page dedicated solely to voting information um, for the November third election. We got that out early this year because we you know it's in in a normal year we might include a lot of that information just like the week of the election but knowing that so many people are voting early or interested in voting early or voting absentee ballot um and there's so many questions regarding this election more so than ever before um we wanted to get that out in advance and let everyone know where they can vote how they can vote how to register and then we'll probably run that again um closer to election day but um, yeah, we just wanted to get people all the info they need because we've re- received a lot of letters from people that were are confused and or that have friends that are confused and, and who have suggested we get some information out there early. And um, I'm glad they sent those because it spurred us to do this. Great. The last thing that I want to mention, uh, if you're still listening to the podcast at this point, uh, I, I would guess that you probably enjoy it and we appreciate that you've made it this far. Uh, if you want to vote for us at the Wisconsin Podcast Awards, uh, there is still time to vote. It goes until the 15th of September for voting. And we have been nominated for the Best Business Podcast and the Favorite Wisconsin Podcast. Uh, we've got some really tough competition. There's some really great podcasts on the list. Uh, but without you nominating us, we wouldn't have been on the boards anyway. So so thank you for doing that. And uh, if, if you want to head back over to wisconsinpodcast.com, there's still time to vote. Uh, it, it was uh, such a wonderful show of appreciation to even be nominated from our listeners. And we really love that. Uh, if if you want to send a vote our way, if, if you really appreciate what we do, we, we'd love to, to see how far we can get in the polls on this one. Because like I said, there's some really challenging competition that we're up against. And it would be it would be wonderful if we were able to win one of them. That would just it, w- it would it would make me feel like we're really making the difference that I hope that we are making and uh, i think it would make uh it would make my boss really enjoy the work that i do even all, all the more and make 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 my uh my position even more essential so andrew wants a plaque is what he's getting at here if i could get a plaque that would be great uh i would be i would make sure to take every picture with it in the background or holding it in some way uh, it would i would introduce myself as you know 2020 wisconsin favorite podcast winner andrew Clyden. so that would that would do a lot for my ego as well but and if um, you don't want to vote you can just uh you can rate us on i iTunes you can rate us on any of those platforms that'd be great if you want to give us a bad rating 
and you hate the podcast, I don't know why you're bothering to listen. Um, but if maybe you, it's cathartic. Maybe <laughs> just you listen all the way through and like, oh, yeah, hate these guys. But yeah, but, any any support is greatly appreciated. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, with that, Miles, why don't we wrap up today? Thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.